This is a Hog Sports Network podcast. You're listening to the Whole Hog Football Podcast, bringing you the latest news, analysis, and more. Here's your host, Matt Jones, with Scotty Bordelon of the Hog Sports Network and WholeHogSports.com. I don't know what's going to happen with Sam Pittman. I know, though, that whatever I thought was going to happen five days ago, I don't feel so certain about it now. You know what I mean? And, and by that, I mean that we had Hunter Juracek at our sports club last week, and he said that he had all the faith in the world in Sam Pittman. And one of the reasons he said that was because he said that Pittman has not had one of those 2019-type games where they don't look competitive. And then, lo and behold, two days later, they have a Chad Morris-type game where they don't look competitive against Auburn. I mean, it was one of the absolute worst uh, scenarios, I think, for Sam Pittman. The fact that, you know, he just gotten this vote of confidence and, and people will talk about vote of confidence and how it's, it's the kiss of death. And, and I certainly understand that argument. But he just gotten this, this, you know, vote of confidence from Juracek two days before. And then they go out and they play their absolute worst game maybe ever under Pittman. I mean, I don't know that that's a stretch to say it's the worst game they have ever played under Pittman. When you think about the competition level, maybe what was at stake, where they were playing, uh, what we've come to expect from Arkansas. I mean, there was a, a, a blowout against Alabama in 2020, but that was a different roster that Arkansas had. They lost to Georgia by 37 in 2021. That was the best team in the country, and they did it on their home field. I think it might have been Pittman's worst loss at Arkansas when all of the factors are taken into consideration. And so, again, I don't know what's going to happen with him. I know everybody's got their opinions about it's going to be this, it's going to be that. You know, it seems like public sentiment seems to be wanting to kick him to the curb. I don't know if that's going to happen. You know, only one person knows what's going to happen. And five days ago, he said that he's got all the faith in Sam Pittman. So we'll see what happens. Things can obviously change over the last few weeks. But boy, was that a bad showing for Arkansas when you, I mean, it was bad, bad, bad. Did I say bad? It was a bad game against Auburn the other night. I don't think you can say bad enough. And accurately describe what Arkansas put on the field the other day. <clears throat> I was going through CFBstats.com looking for maybe equally head-scratching games, but I just don't know that they're there. I, I can't like, think of it's one. It's the Alabama game to close the end of the COVID season, so you're playing your 10th straight SEC game. That was an undefeated Alabama national right. champion. And then the next season, you know, Georgia on mm -hmm. the road, but it's another top-ranked team. The only other ones I can think of that were just – what in the world happened were Auburn a couple of years ago mm -hmm. when Sam was, you know, he, he when he spoke to us the, before the next season, he was like, that's a game that I think about all the time. So he pressed. Uh, in, terms about, in terms of, yeah, pressing and decision-making. Um, and then maybe Mississippi State last year, but KJ wasn't playing in that mm -hmm. game and you were starting Malik Hornsby. Um, that was just, yeah, it was – I walked from – after the game ended, I, I kind of wrote my column around my walk down the west side bleachers after mm -hmm. the press box, and I didn't really see – of course, there was – the stadium had thinned out significantly by halftime, and then after that game was over, it was really thin. But there was still a, a decent amount of people on the west side, and I'm walking down, making sure that I don't trip and fall down the stairs – and that seemed like to be the sole focus of like the people that were still there was one step at a time, get to these tunnels that leave that lead to the exits. Um, and then there were, you know, parents of kids who were in that northwest corner, you know, just hawking autographs. I mm -hmm. think it was just it felt like an unemotional crowd at that point. 
I think they just kind of stuck around because, hey, we we paid to to do this. Probably we're as part of the weekend. We paid for this. We're going to stick it out. But there was it didn't seem to be many angry people. I think the people that were angry at how the game was going left at halftime. They're gone, yeah. Um, or they left after Arkansas got down twenty-one-zero less than nine minutes in. It was I wrote it was the most what in the world happened game under Pittman, and it was familiar too. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was all too familiar, and familiar in that stadium. And that's something yeah. we talked about last week: is how they have not got a home field advantage. They don't have a home field advantage. I can't explain why they don't have a home field advantage, but they don't have one. That's three games this year they've lost when they were favored to win it. They were favored to beat BYU. They were favored to beat Mississippi State. They were favored to beat Auburn. They didn't cover the spread against Kent State either. <laughs> they were favored to beat Liberty last year. And I mean, you can just go on and on. You go back to the Morris years. We all know, you know, the the North Texas and Western Kentuckys and San Jose States. And you know, we wrote this before the game last week that there's no home field advantage at Razorback Stadium. And there hasn't been one in a long time. Even you know, you even take the the great Petrino years. There were some good years that they had at home. There were some years where some not so good games. I mean, probably the most famous Petrino home game was a loss to Alabama when yeah. Alabama was number one in the in the country. And I don't know. There's just there's a lack of a home field advantage that exists for this team. And I think it's one of the many things that Eurocheck is going to have to take into consideration and evaluate at the end of this year. Whenever he has to decide, am I going to bring Pittman back for year five, or are we going to go back and and to the drawing board again? And it's just it's kind of just. It's confusing because in every other sport on campus, it feels like Arkansas just has such a great home field advantage. Elite, elite you look in at other men's sports. basketball, yeah. and it's a phenomenal home field advantage. Baseball, softball, soccer—I don't think they've lost at home in like in like three years since before COVID or something yeah. crazy. Right um, after, right after COVID, it's there's such a great home field advantage in all these other sports, and then it just it doesn't make sense like why football at least. You know, and I'm not even saying like I'm expecting you to just because a home field advantage come out and beat LSU at home or something. But you should take care of business against Mississippi State and Auburn. These teams that, that on paper at least, like they're pretty equal to you. Um, and it's like not only that you aren't like being competitive with, or not only that you aren't beating them at home, you aren't competitive with them. Like mm. you're listing those games that that you know might be the worst. Like Mississippi State, I'd put right there with this one. Yeah. I know the score was much different, but I mean, that was just a pathetic showing. It's like the past two times they played at home, you like, it just doesn't make sense. You can go on the road to Alabama. You can go on the road to LSU, uh, go beat Florida in the swamp and show so much like emotion. And then you come home and it's like by the final horn, it's just apathy in the stadium. Even the Mississippi State lost seven to three. You were in it till the end and there was apathy in the stadium because it was such a, just a poor showing. It doesn't make sense. Um, I don't know if that's like something from just like a game day atmosphere standpoint, but I mean, people are showing up like, I don't know what they got to do to, to fix it. I mean, we mentioned it on the podcast last week. Like, are we, is there going to be a strong showing? There was people showed up, mm-hmm. but it's still just, and they stuck through it for a little while. I mean, it's yeah. still a pretty full crowd till halftime. And then I think that's when people said this isn't going to get any better. Yeah. And it didn't. It just, it, it's confusing to me because it's a really passionate fan base shows up to every other sport and it makes a big difference. It's like I don't know what has to change. The crowds are good at those other venues because the teams are good. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a that's that's But it's not like the crowds have been bad in football. They they've been yeah, the the people are still they were still showing up. Um 
I don't think they're going to be joining them this no. weekend. Pat, Pat and Jones. Probably not for the Missouri game either. I, I was but. on Pat Jones' radio show in Tulsa yesterday. He said, Matt, you think there'll be 73,000 people there for FIU? I said, I don't know there are going to be 23,000 people there. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, it's a it's a night game. It's a, a game between two teams. I guess FIU still got bowl hopes, but Arkansas doesn't. Uh, you're going to have the students are gone for Thanksgiving. I mean, I know they've got classes next week, but let's face it, everybody leaves on Friday night. I don't know if there's going to be a very big crowd there. People are going to speak with their money. People are going to speak with their money. And a lot of people are upset about football. And the number one way you speak with your money, and we saw it in 2019, is you have empty football stadiums. And that's what it's going to be against FIU. Probably not quite to the same extent, but it's probably what it's going to be against Missouri, I would think. Uh, I think a lot of people who have come out for these last two games against Mississippi State and Auburn and left disappointed in, in, in much different fashions, but disappointed nonetheless, they're not going to come to these games. They're not going to come to FIU. Missouri is always a poorly attended game. It's always a poorly attended game. It's why they tried to move it down to Little Rock at one point. It's why Missouri tried to move it to Arrowhead in Kansas City uh, the year of COVID. Neither of these teams draw very good on campus the day after Thanksgiving. And I don't see that changing this week. I, I think it's going to – Houston Nutt was at our Hogs Illustrated luncheon back in October. And I asked him, what's the hardest place to play in the SEC? And, you know, he named off some of the usual suspects. Obviously, Neyland was a place where he had a lot of struggle. He said Vanderbilt is a tough place to play because you have to make your own energy. Nobody shows up to the games. And when you're at Vanderbilt, it's kind of like a, a, a low-scale bowl game where you got about half of the crowds in one color and half of the crowds in another, but the stadium's not anywhere near full. It's not going to be half and half, obviously, at least not for FIU, but they're going to have to make their own energy this week against FIU and, and probably to a lesser extent against Missouri because I, I think a lot of the people who have been there for the last few weeks, you know, all these home games this year where they've left disappointed, they've checked out. They're not coming back. The I'm expecting the crowd to be one of the most – expectedly bizarre things maybe I've ever seen. Like, I don't, yeah. You mentioned, It'll be like watching Fayetteville Southside there last you mentioned, year. You mentioned, 20, I think. you mentioned 23. Maybe that's, that, that might be realistic. <laughs> I just think it's, you mentioned like the, um, maybe kind of the, one of those strange bowl games where two East Coast teams are playing in like El Paso or, or like San know, Diego. San, yeah, yeah. Just one of, like one of those type <laughs> crowds. And, I mean, you've, what have you seen throughout the course of the year that makes you think that – I just – I don't really know where I'm going with that. Like, I just don't – I don't know what to expect from either side of the ball. And People then, have left disappointed so much that they don't want to come back. I, I expect I it to be just that. like very much a Chad Morris era crowd against a non-conference game. Like, yeah. it, that, it's the same feeling that you have right now. It's just you were non-competitive in your last game against a team that on paper was – about as bad as you. I don't want to say as good as you, as bad as you. Um, and then you're going to follow it up with now. Like, it's, it almost reminds me of kind of that Western Kentucky game, just as far as, like, I think FIU is worse than Western Kentucky, but I'd expect a crowd kind of like that. Yeah, I, I agree. And, I, and how bad is the team that is coming in this weekend when Arkansas is favored by 31 and a half? Who's going to watch that? Mm -hmm. Sickos. No. <laughs> and me, but I'll be – my mind will be in Nassau. <laughs> Yeah, Scotty's going to the Bahamas next week for, for basketball. I just think it's apathy, right? I mean, I'm not saying it's apathy with everybody. I think there's – but I think a lot of apathy has set in 
with a, a good number of people about the football team. At least that's my opinion based on, you know, we interact with people on our message boards all the time, and that's where you, I think you get a great pulse of of the fan base. And some people say, well, you know, it's just the crazy people who hang out on the message boards, and there may be a little bit of truth to that. But, you know, it, they're, they're pe- these are people who are paying their money. These are people who are paying their donations. You know, these are I, there are people on our message board at least you know, who are, are very well in the know people who, you know, they, they give a, <clears throat> you know, they, they contribute a good bit of their finances to the, the Razorback cause. And I just feel like apathy is set in uh, for this team. And I don't know how you recover from apathy if you hang on to the football coach. I'm, and I'm not in any way saying that you got to make a coaching change. I don't want to go there. I never want that to be a position that I take about, you know, you got to let this guy go or you got to hire this guy. That, that's that I've never felt like that's my place, but, I do think that, you know, I can point out what I see, uh, you know, and, and I think apathy is setting in. I don't know how you come back from apathy. We talked about how people speak with their pocketbooks. Um, and that's not just for these last two games, by the way. I don't know how you go out and you sell season tickets for 2024 and how you ask for donations in 2024 and how you go on this $200 million capital campaign that they're about to launch for Bud Walton Arena and other renovations and how you go out trying to shop naming rights for your football stadium. I don't know how you do that when people don't feel good about the football team. I'm not saying it's not possible, and I'm not saying that that Pittman may not make a, a, a comeback down the road, but it just seems like it's very difficult to do that. And then in light of all of – or you know, with all of that, in addition to it, you got Mississippi State just made a change. A&M just made a change. Florida may make a change. You're going to have a totally different looking SEC next year when you got new head coaches, at least those three schools, plus you got OU and Texas coming in. I think there's a lot of things to evaluate if you're in, in your checks chair right now. I feel like I feel like I'm in church. That was you you were preaching right there. I just don't like you can't I don't think you can you go you can, you can go <laughs> well, Yeah. Um I just yeah, I'm with you. I don't see how you can go into next year or even and they've got to make a coordinator change too. They've they've got to go hire. And that's yeah. the other thing I think about in in terms of evaluating whether or not he comes back. You've got to go find an offensive coordinator who you're going to tell him, "Hey, uproot your family and come to Fayetteville," but you may only be doing it for 10 or 11 months because of the, you know, the the hot seat status of the head coach. It's just it's so confusing too that like we're talking about this right now after the same podcast we recorded last week. I think we all felt like that win that they had it just like reinvigorated like like I just didn't expect to be talking about apathy the next mm. week. Like I thought maybe I mean I didn't definitely didn't rule it out for Arkansas to lose. I mean I think none of us did ruled them out to lose, but I didn't have them just getting smacked like they did to where by the by the time the fourth quarter rolled around or actually probably the third quarter, Scotty pointed this out. It was like the Morris days whenever the only noise you hear in the stadium is the band playing. I was getting flashbacks. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's just how they got so out of that game as fast as they did was just, I don't know. It, you, there's been games this year that Arkansas has gotten up 14-0, and you're like, oh. It was lit- Arkansas <laughs> got down 14-0, and there was literally a failure from all three phases yeah. mm. within that 14-0. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it, it just it obviously spiraled from there. But it, it was failure from all three phases, but it was also some of the same old stuff where – um, Arkansas's offense is only put in position to score because Nudie got a pick and returned mm-hmm. it 42 yards, which may have been longer than any drive the offense had. Yeah. I it, haven't pulled up. I don't have the drive no, pulled up. The Arkan- touchdown drive was longer because Criswell had a 60-yard. Oh, they run. had a seven. Yeah. yeah. So they had one. They had 
two, one drive. They had two drives. They had a 60-yard drive and a 75-yard drive, but the third longest drive of the game was a nudie pick. <laughs> Arkansas gets up 14-0 against BYU and Florida, and you're just thinking, when is this going to disappear? Was it enough insurance? They get down 14 nothing. I think, I mean, Bob said it to us. He said, oh, I think this one's over, and he was right. I mean. I, I thought they would come back. I thought they would come back and make it competitive, but at least in that you know, if I, if I put myself in my chair, what I was thinking with ten and a half minutes left in the first quarter, I thought that okay, they've been they've been hit, but they're gonna they're gonna come back and they're gonna make this game competitive because we have not seen Auburn do that to anybody this year, not even UMass. I don't think they did that to UMass. Maybe they did to UMass, but you know the the point remains. They really didn't, they didn't even do that to Mississippi State. And they Vandy. didn't do it to Mississippi State or Vanderbilt, and so it was just a total shock to see Auburn do that. I think mm-hmm. uh, was it Darinoka? On SEC Network, I was watching him, I don't know, probably about 3.30 in the morning Sunday trying to recover from everything we had just seen, and he said it was pathetic. He said it was a pathetic showing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, that's – that's and can't, you can't is really – you can't really uh, poke holes in that. And here's a difference that I felt on Saturday that, you know, in all of Arkansas's previous games, the defense had been, like, kind of saving you from just, like, the effort still to keep you in the game. By the time that they saw the field for, I think, the second time, because Arkansas was three and out, or who got the ball first? Auburn. Auburn scored a touchdown, three and out Arkansas, punt return touchdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the time that the defense saw the field for the second time, they're staring at a 14-0 deficit, um, and the offense goes three and out in its first three drives. I think the defense, it's like it felt to me at least, like for the first time this season, they in the first quarter saw a deficit of and like the offense not doing anything and just kind of let their whole guard Arkansas's down. <laughs> first four drives, seven yards, three plays, nine yards, three plays, six yards, three plays, two yards, and four plays to get a field goal. That's yeah, <laughs> to get a field goal. Yeah, I feel you know you mentioned the defense. The defense has been the strength of this team all year. It's been holding them up while the offense was holding them back, and we see this though quite a bit at the end of the year. Defenses start to give a little bit, um, and I think that's not just at Arkansas. That's at a lot of places. You start to see higher scoring games late in the season, or at least it's it's that's what it feels like to me overall. And I say that and watch Michigan Ohio State go out and play like a fourteen to ten game or something. But I feel like you see a lot more points scored at the end of the year. I feel like defenses are getting tired, and it feels like Arkansas's defense is is starting to look a little bit tired. Think about what Florida did to them in the second half down in Gainesville. Obviously, it was bad against Auburn. Auburn has not run the ball like that against anybody all year long. The and last time they ran for that many yards was Alabama State in like 2021. Yeah, I think. so that, good, those were good, really good company to be in. If you're Arkansas. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it looked like the Malzahn days of and Auburn the, just lining up and getting seven, eight yards a carry. But I mean, on I mean, I'm not trying to advocate for the performance the defense had because it was really, really bad. But like, how demoralizing to get an interception and set your offense up like in great position and then get them get two yards and sell for a field goal and you're already down mm-hmm. 21 points because one seven of those are a punt return touchdown i mean it's just it, i think it gets to the point where the defense is just exhausted i mean i'm not trying to make up for how bad they played but like exhausted to just see nothing ever get produced for anything good they do it's like they can they can do something great and half the time don't get rewarded i mean it, to me it's just it's been this way all season it's just a complete and utter lack of complimentary football all season. Mm. It's either the offense is going or the defense is going or Satania is giving you a, a punt return for a touchdown or um, it's or 
two of the three are not playing well. Two of the three mm-hmm. phases are not playing well. And, um, yeah, man, it's just – it's really ugly and – that, yeah, that's that's all I. Got. The only I thing you can count on is Cam Little th- has a my great. My thoughts leg. are shot. Yeah. <laughs> See, you're, you're taking away my Cam Little thunder because I wanted to go. I wanted to go to something about Cam Little here. That's just a minute. The only reliable thing right now. So something Ethan said earlier. One of the reasons I think that we were a little bit more optimistic in our last podcast. We had all just come from Springdale, where we had the luncheon with uh, with Juracek. You spoke last Thursday at noon to that luncheon. We left there, came down here, we recorded our podcast. And so I think that's maybe where a little bit of that optimism comes from. And, and so when you hear that and you see what they did against Florida and then to have the performance against Auburn, it is, I think, quite a bit deflating. And it brings you back down to reality. You know, last week I think the thought process was, okay, they went to Florida, they won, they got a new offensive coordinator, they got Enos out, things are going to go better, they're going to give themselves a chance, they're going to beat Auburn, we know they're going to beat FIU, they're going to be five and six going into the Missouri game. And – I don't think Auburn was ever a sure win, but we thought it'd be a heck of a lot more competitive than that. I mean, it felt like a coin flip. And that was anything but a coin flip the other night. Those teams play two more times, and Auburn may win both of them. Um, so I think that's maybe where a little bit of, of, of this comes from. And uh, one other thought is that it's just indicative of how the whole season has gone, just this wild just roller coaster from one game to the next. I mean, you think about they play what BYU and the offense doesn't look very good. And then they go to LSU and they go, you know, blow for blow with probably the Heisman Trophy winner, Jaden Daniels. Uh, They play Alabama and the offense doesn't look good in the first half, but they get some scoring drives in the second half and they've got a chance to go down and, and win that game in Tuscaloosa and then they come back against Stark or against Mississippi State next week, and they can't get a first down. Same thing goes, you know, you go to Florida, your offense looks great, and then you come back the next week and it forgot to make the trip home from Gainesville. It's just this wild roller coaster of, you know, just erratic play from one week to the next, I think is to me, it's indicative of a poorly coached team because I think it's up to the coaches to get your players ready to play every week. And we have seen multiple times this year where Arkansas just hasn't been ready to play, or at least it doesn't seem like they have been. The bizarre thing about it to me is like that it's like every time the offense has a letdown, I feel like it is the offensive line is like that is the main place you point. It's just Mm. like, I mean, even in those games that they like lost, but they went blow for blow with LSU, like the O line was like almost taking you out of the game with all the penalties they got. It's like even whenever Arkansas is close, it's like it's the O-line that made the difference for not being able to get the win. It's just it's really bad. Um, And it's just strange that, you know, in year four under Sam Pittman that that is like the problem. Um, Mm. I just don't think anybody foresaw that like becoming what it is. The first down discrepancy the other day was just one of those numbers that you look at in a box score and just like – how 10 first downs to 32 for Auburn and look I, I think Jarquez Hunter is really good I think he's a really good back in the SEC pro potential I don't know maybe uh, I do think he runs really damn hard which is mm-hmm. pretty good characteristic to have if you're carrying the ball um, but Peyton Thorne I thought was the difference in that game and we were talking about it his fakes were so good he was so deceptive with in the RPO game, mm-hmm. like he fooled us at least twice on the opening drive. Yep. 
like fooled us. And, and that was just on runs. There was another one where he ran play action, where yeah. it was a it he was, was a great sell between he and Hunter, the running back. He's really good. He was really good the other day. I still don't think he's like a great quarterback. No, but Arkansas's got this got this way about him that certain weeks they can make guys look so much better than they mm. are. And I think he's I think he's a serviceable quarterback. Um, but he goes for 88 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Like it was, I think going into that game, it was, you know, can Arkansas limit Jarquez Hunter? He got 109. And I don't think we really thought that much about Peyton Thorne beating him on the ground. And then he throws for three touchdowns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of his touchdowns was against Dwight McLaughlin. I think that was the first score he's given up this season. Um, just really tough, really, really hard to watch. And it, I'm looking at the box score right now in the time of possession. Auburn had the ball for over 38 minutes. I would have guessed it was more than that. It felt like Arkansas never hmm. had the ball. Here's a crazy stat for you, too, because I was I was just getting into the Auburn ran on first down 26 times, and they averaged seven yards on first down runs for a total of 182 yards rushing on first down. Their first down rushing, just running on first down, would have been better than Arkansas's total game rushing performance in every game this year but the Florida game. So just on one down, Auburn was able to, to exceed Arkansas's total in every game but that Florida one. And just barely. I mean, the Arkansas rushing performance at Florida was like 200 and, uh, 226 yards, so just barely, yeah. Something I was um, – when the crowd started to thin out in the second half, the open air press box, right, so we can hear some stuff that mm -hmm. people are yelling um, – Auburn's obviously trying to milk the clock, but there was somebody in the West bleachers that was like, hey, guys, guess what's coming? It's going to be another run. And then they turn around and hand the ball off seven yards. Yeah. And then he, the next snap, he's like, guys, guess what? Another run's coming. <laughs> seven more yards. It was just – it was one of those days where the dude in the stands was, you know – calling out the plays it's gonna feel really good if you're auburn very they know what's gonna happen you know what's gonna happen yeah. and you know they can't stop and, it. Hugh and you Freeze, it was also predictable because you knew arkansas's defense wasn't gonna stop it hugh freeze politely said after the game basically like we could have run up the score could have put up could have oh, put up we could have put numbers. numbers and then he politely said it again yesterday on his monday like yeah. basically that just they were trying to milk the clock but arkansas still couldn't stop them that's what he he, he said there was no question that their o-line dominated they could have yeah. won that game by 60 points yeah it was 48 to 3 at the end of the third quarter. I don't even I can't remember a game that was 48 to 3 at the end of the third quarter. And talking about mm -hmm. the whole coaching just like what do you do from here? It's just whenever you have Hugh Freeze in his first year that he's able to say that after a game in his first year, you're just sitting there probably I mean, how do you not scratch your head and ask what are we doing? It's wild to see that Arkansas defense give up multiple 21-point quarters. Mm -hmm. I get that special teams gave up you know, one of those early touchdowns, but I'd have to go back and look. I don't know that Arkansas's given up 14 in multiple quarters this year, maybe against LSU. Maybe they would have had – I can't remember. Maybe they had one of those 21-point quarters. Um, but, yeah, it was just – it was train wreck all the way around. The Whole Hog Football Podcast is sponsored by Kendall King Design Display Signage, kendallking.com. That's K-E-N-D-A-L-K-I-N-G.com. The Kindle King Group family of companies plays to win, just like our hogs. We know how demanding retail marketing is today. From digital omni-channel creative services, through in-store signing and displays, and finally to social influence, we've got you covered. Our KKG Inc. family of companies... 
Kindle King, Shopcart Creative, and Soapbox Influence are winning with multiple retailers and brands. We play to win and we'll be a winning partner for all your retail marketing service needs. Go Hogs! In good news, Cam Little is a uh, semifinalist for the Lou Groza Award. Uh, those ballots were sent out today. Did you get one? I did not. I'm surprised you didn't get one. I, I figured the, you would. I got the Okay. Ballot. Well, I got I don't know how I got it, but I got a Lou Groza Award ballot. I don't think I'm a member ballot. of the FWAA anymore, but they keep sending me the ballot. Okay. <laughs> so. I, got, I, got a, I got a ballot today for the Lou Groza Award, and I went into it thinking, okay, I, I'm obviously partial to Little because I see him kick. I think he's really darn good at what he, I mean, I think he has been just absolutely phenomenal this year. Um, but I looked at all the other candidates. There's 20 of them. So I looked at the other 19. And, you know, the things I was looking at mainly were accuracy and distance. Now, there's a lot of guys in there that, you know, they're making field goals from 30 to 39 with great accuracy. But are they kicking a lot from 40 and 50? Well, you look at Little – I think he's four of five this year, over 50 yards. I think he's four for four within the 40 to 49 range. Uh, that's really darn good. And I didn't see anybody else who was better. I saw some that were comparable. I didn't see any that were better. In fact, I don't know that any of the other semifinalists had more 50-yard makes than Cam has had. And kind of going off memory here, I could probably pull it up if I wanted to, but I don't remember seeing anybody with a longer kick than he's had this year. And I'm talking about on the Groza Award semifinal uh, listing. He, had, he made a 56-yarder earlier this year. So I put him number one on my ballot. Uh, we'll see if he becomes a finalist. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Uh, will Reichard is on there, the Alabama kicker. I have a tendency to think that he might get the award this year just because of name recognition. He missed a couple kicks against LSU. He missed LSU. a couple against LSU, but they were the first kicks that Snapped he missed. Snapped a really in long streak. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. was like almost two years yeah. that he had gone without missing one. And then also in that LSU game, he set – or he didn't set the NCAA scoring record. He's probably going to do that before the season's over. But he did become the first kicker in NCAA history that had scored at least 500 points. And so I kind of think that, you know, Josh Maxson, who used to be here at, at Arkansas, he's Alabama's football SID now. Uh, I have a feeling Josh will put together a pretty nice campaign for him to win the Groves Award. But based on the numbers, at least, you know, through however many weeks we played now, I don't I don't see anyone on this list that's any better than Cam. The SEC's got a lot of really good kickers. They got a lot on I mean, this list. the one list. that Arkansas faced on Saturday, McPherson's McPherson, he's there. really good. I think he's, yeah, he's on the... And he's a freshman. Yeah, he's, get used to seeing him making kicks. I think he's perfect on the year, but he hasn't taken nearly as many as What's Cam up with Hall? Auburn getting all these legacy kickers? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I mean, I even go back to like the '90s. I remember they had this set of brothers in the mid to late '90s, early 2000s, and then they had the Carlson brothers. Mm -hmm. uh, McPherson is the younger brother of Evan McPherson, who's the kicker for the Bengals. Yeah, um, it's it's incredible. I wish that guy could have kicked one more PAT the other day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's crazy because like. Also, it's like you're naming those three, Reichard, Little, and uh, McPherson, as being mm -hmm. really good. But then also you have Mevis that's at Missouri, who he's just got a huge leg. He had that game winner against um, Kansas State. He's not on the he's not on the ballot. I guess he's had some misses in he's, there. He's had a lot of misses. Yeah. Um, but he's got a strong leg. And then you've got it's, – it's funny. It's Trey Smack, the one they played against Florida. He's, he's been on there. really good for the year until that miss against Arkansas. But that was also a really strange situation for him. Um, there's a lot of really good kickers in the SEC – um, I think Cam Little, though, just what he's done this year. I mean, 
I'd have to dig deeper and look at all those other like finalists and see what they've done. But it's hard to think that somebody's had a better season than him as far as just like distance and accuracy. You know, I think if he gets some postseason recognition, got to give a big thank you to the offense for just not <laughs> being able to to score touchdowns. I mean, that's he's gonna thank you know God first, his family second, offense has to be third. Scott Fountain probably fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you to the offense for not being able to capitalize when the defense sets you up or just sustain a drive here's 75 Cam, yards. Here's Cam Little's number, 17 of 19. That's 89.5%. You got CFB stats pulled up. I want you to look up uh, uh, touchback rate because I think he's number one in that too. 89.5% field goal, four to, or, uh, 40 to 49 yards, four or five. 50 yards or more, four or five. Along of 56, I just double-checked that. That's the longest of anybody who's a semifinalist for the Groza Award. He's made all of his extra points. And then in uh, touchback Where's touch rate. Back Where's touchback rate? Under individual stats, you'll see kickoffs. Okay. Um, anyway, I think I think his touchback rate is number one in the SEC, and it's probably one of the top nationally. I mean, it's, it's up there. Yeah, it was strange because it was either the Florida game or Mississippi State. I don't think he had not had a touchback like all year. And then there was one game that he just, I don't know if it was part of the game plan or something. I think oh, there was the some Florida win game. Against it was Florida. definitely the yeah, win. It was just the win. Yeah, the yeah win so he was wasn't getting crazy. touchbacks that game. But I think he might have been perfect on touchbacks. 82, 82.35% touchback rate this year. So that's so come down a little bit because it was 40, closer to 90%. 42 on, on 42 touchbacks on <clears> 51 kickoffs. Is that number one in the SEC? I think it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's number one in the SEC. So I don't think kickoffs go into the Groza Award um, consideration. I think it's more just what have you done, PATs and field goals. But I mean, you throw that in there, it's an all SEC type season for him. I don't know if he's going to get first team because you got Reichard and like Ethan mentioned, you got some of these others like uh, Smack and McPherson. By the way, Smack is that not the best name for a kicker? Have the last name Smack. It's got to be tough on Cam Little too. You know, um, kicking. 40-plus, 50-plus yard field goals, and then going right back on the field, and they're like, kick it 65 or mm -hmm. 70. That's got to be really hard. You know, I know something about Little. He's a he's a captain this year, which is really unique that your kicker is a captain. And, boy, you, you look down on the sideline during the games, and that whole little group of special teams guys, you know, all your kickers and your punters and your snappers and everybody, they all kind of congregate in one area on the sideline. And he is – clearly the leader of that group. I mean, there's just something about the body language that you can discern from watching him on the sideline that those guys really gravitate toward him. Yeah, uh, He's, you know, sometimes guys come out and they're really highly recruited. And I think he was like considered the number one or two place kicker in the country out of high school. And they don't live up to that billing. And boy, he certainly has. And, you know, I just think about, I mean, he's got another year of eligibility left. I would assume he's back at Arkansas next year. What kind of records could he set? Because I know he's already getting close just in terms of career field goals because he's had so many opportunities. Yeah, he's um, what, one of five guys with 50 made field goals I mean, in his career. These these guys, the you know, the, the Steve Littles and the Kendall Trainers, those are the, you know, the, the great names in, in Arkansas kicking history. I think he's got a chance at the end of his career to be thought of right there with those guys. I, I really do. And maybe we don't appreciate it or realize it as much because he's playing on a team with a bad record. Anyway, that's and why I want to talk only, about Cam he, A lot Little of the times he's only out there because the offense can't finish a drive. Well, and we just talk about, you know, this this erratic play from Arkansas from one week to the next. He's been steady. Mm -hmm. Every week it feels like every kick, 
you can count on Cam Little, and I think that there's you know there's something to be said for that. The most impressive part of it too to me is his makes have he's had so many long big makes in like hostile environments too. It's not like he's just out here booming. I mean that kick against Florida is yeah. a great example. It's not like he's booming yeah. fifty two yarders at Razorback Stadium in front of that crowd that we saw in the second half. It's like he's doing this late game. Mm-hmm. Um like I think of Ole Miss he had a long one. Texas A and M and Jerry World he had a long one. He had a long one at Alabama too, I think. He's um He's he's it's almost like he's gone on this tour of just like making long field goals at other teams' stadiums, and it's it seems like he doesn't let pressure really get to him. Was the Alabama one? Was that the fifty-six yarder? I think it might have been. I think that's right. I think yeah. I think I think it might have been the fifty-six yarder was in was in Bryant Denny Stadium. Uh, SEC last week was blowout, blowout after blowout after blowout. I mean, Arkansas loses by thirty-eight to Auburn. Ole Miss loses by 35 to Georgia. I'm just kind of going off the top of my head here. <laughs> South Carolina beat Vanderbilt by 41. Alabama beat Kentucky, and I think it wasn't really as close as the final score would say. A&M beats Mississippi State, and both coaches get fired by 41. I mean, it, really just kind of a crazy lack of competitiveness in the uh, in the conference last week. Even Tennessee-Missouri, which I think most people thought would be the game of the week, it ends up being like a 29-point outcome. Every game was a – Every game was a blowout, and or it felt like it. I mean, Ole Miss gave Georgia a game for a quarter, mm-hmm. and then Georgia did Georgia stuff. I did not expect Missouri to beat the dog out of Tennessee like they did. Missouri's good, y'all. But Missouri is very good. They're very good. Mm-hmm. They're really good. People aren't talking about how good Missouri is. I think there's a chance Missouri could be the Sugar Bowl team this year. Yeah. There, I think there's a there's an outside a chance, not really outside. If Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, I think both of those teams go to the playoff. And if both of those teams go to the playoff, Missouri gets to go to the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me one bit. We missed on our Mississippi State getting shut out pick, but, but their offense didn't score. There, it was a score was uh, hold on, kickoff. hold on. It was an opening kickoff touchdown, and then they kicked a field goal. Their offense did not That's score against Texas A&M. Yeah. That game, I just I they just went saw up 7-0, and we're outscored from there, fifty-one yeah. to three. Yeah, I think we we had that pegged. Their offense was not going yeah. to score against Texas and at least not a touchdown. Yeah, that's uh yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty bad football team too. Um did not expect A&M to win by 41 and then have their coach let go. Um game was so bad both coaches got fired. <laughs> I right said like Jimbo that's, got a, that's a tough look. Well, Jimbo I said got a, over a million dollars for every point they beat Mississippi State by in his buyout. Well, I said that, you know, Mississippi State saw A&M fire their head coach after beating them that way. And they said, well, there's no way that we can hang no, on to this guy. We got to do it. We just got to do it. I felt like Arnett was a rushed hire at Mississippi State last year after Mike Leach died. And I didn't think they'd fire him after one year, but I never thought it would last very long. It definitely felt like an okay thing to do in the interim. Mm-hmm. But to just, man, he's just, I never saw it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it really at any point early in the season – um, changed the offense, right? Like the offense was mm-hmm. completely different than than what it was previously. Um, and then his defense was just not good until they came to Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once they left here, everything kind of went went back in the gutter. It's just, yeah, that, that was – I didn't watch any of that game, and I told you all I wasn't going to watch any of it. I would have rather watched Vanderbilt, South Carolina. Um yeah, Mississippi State's just I don't know I don't know who they're going to go out and get. Like I know there's some question about like if Sam lets go, who who could Arkansas possibly get? Mm-hmm. 
I don't know who's going to want to go to Starkville either, to be honest, as it seems like a total and utter rebuild post Mike Leach. And then you had a you had a coach who could not get through his first season there. I would think that they could go get someone who has a an air raid background, maybe who's a head coach. If you could get someone to go in there, maybe they can kind of pick up the pieces a little bit. and Maybe so. But I, I do think that it, it could be a, a difficult rebuild for them just because it was such a unique system that they ran. And if, whoever does the rebuild, they won't have Will Rogers anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the most – going to go with Mike Wright? You're going to have to go in the portal, <laughs> You're going to have to go portal, yeah. go find your quarterback. And, yeah. One of the most bizarre results of the year to me is that Mississippi State beat Arizona, who's now number 19 in the nation. Yeah. They beat them early in the year. Definitely. They want to redo on that game. Yeah. No doubt about it. <laughs> and, I think a lot of people want to redo against Mississippi State this year. Yeah, no, they – that's a really difficult job, I feel like. Just it's – I mean, just right now in the stage that they're in, how – like the same as Arkansas this year, just kind of lack of competitiveness in the SEC. It feels like that's like you were starting from ground zero. And then A&M firing Jimbo Fisher. I get it. You know, I, I wrote this yesterday. I said undefeated money should buy better than eight and four results. So I understand why he's let go. But just think about how many SEC teams would kill for that record over six years, 45 and 25 27 and 21 in the SEC. I did this in my head driving in, so I don't know if I'm, I'm 100% right about this, but I think over the same time frame, Arkansas is 26 and 44 overall. So it's basically like just flip the flip the results of the last six years. And I know Arkansas fans, or I think they would, they would take the, those kinds of results in a heartbeat. But I think what's happened in the SEC is that Georgia and Alabama have totally reset the game. Because you don't want to be behind the best team in your conference. And so the so what's happening is that now if you're going to catch up to the best team in your conference, you're going to catch up to two of the best that there have ever been. I don't know that there's five other programs that have been on a run. Certainly not very many like Alabama's been on for however long Saban has been there. But even, even Kirby Smart at Georgia, and, and that's going to continue for however long he wants to coach. And so – you got to catch up to them. So LSU is trying to catch up to them, and Texas A&M is trying to catch up to them. Florida, wouldn't surprise me to see them let go of Billy Napier this year because they Mm -hmm. need to catch up to that level. And then you've got all these other teams that are back here. Auburn, I would put them in that category, Tennessee too. But then you've got all these other teams back here who have never been able to win an SEC championship, or at least not in a long time. The same six teams have won the SEC the last, like, 40 years, since 1977. And so now they're having to elevate their play to try to catch up to these guys that they're usually able to be competitive against. It's uh, I wrote it yesterday. It's it's the SEC is full of wolves, and I, I just uh, I don't know where this is going because it seems like the patience is is just running thin, a lot shorter, uh, or it's in a lot uh, you know shorter supply than it used to be. And it's kind of crazy too. Even you're talking about like those second tier teams. I I don't know call them second or third tier, just the ones that have never really even been like – like you have Lane Kiffin right now at Ole Miss, like doing a really good job at Ole Miss, and you just wonder like how long it is before – I don't think he'll be at Ole Miss for – I mean, he's constantly – They're going to get tired of 10-2. and going to get tired of 10-3. And, and, and he constantly is after games. Like I think he did it again Saturday, just talking about how, oh, we only have one five-star. Georgia has however many 24. They I think that – I just think it, there's some schools in the SEC right now that just aren't really made to like – 
like I don't know what it will take to get them to that next even tier just mm-hmm. to like where you're even in the mix like because Ole Miss just what they've done with him like they've been competitive but then they can never win like the big game like you kn- I think earlier this year even that LSU like that was like their biggest win I feel like under Kiffin was beating LSU it's not even that great of an LSU team it's just it yeah. feels like there's just such like a big gap to make that next just to just make the leap up. And it's kind of bizarre even thinking about Arkansas, what they did like in Sam Pittman's uh, second year for even just finishing third, how difficult it felt like that was Mm -hmm. for Arkansas to get to third in the West. It's just, how do you, I don't know how you get to that at this stage with just everything that's going on with NIL and transfer portal and everything, how you even get in that, not only move from like the third tier to the second, but then make that jump up to even hang with Georgia and Alabama. Well, you got to set your sights smaller i think in in terms of okay who do we have to catch that's in front of us it's not gonna be alabama and georgia right away you can't catch them until you catch kentucky you know what i mean you got to catch this team and then maybe you pass them and then you you set your sights on somebody else but you gotta have some patience to get there and and like i said it seems like that's in short patience is patience is not patience is not in the vocabulary of fan bases in this in this (laughs) league and i think if, if a program wants to catch or even compete with the likes of Alabama and Georgia at this rate, you've absolutely 100% got to hit the lottery with a coach. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's as simple as that. I mean, Mark Richt had Georgia in a pretty good spot, kind of like where some of these teams are now, where they were winning X number of games a year, but then it just kind of stalled out. Mm-hmm. And then they went and hit the lottery with Kirby Smart, and he's elevated that program to – you know, just phenomenal, like a phenomenal upper echelon of of the sport where everybody's like trying to make their program like his, mm-hmm. um, which kind of what Nick Saban did. So he learned from the best. Um, but you, you're going to have to hit the lottery with a coach who is, you know, savvy with kids these days and the portal – um, retain player retention while also sending guys to the draft to make kids want to come play for you. It's you're just gonna have, I don't know how you do it, because if hitting the lottery was easy, everybody would do yeah. it. Um, but you're just you're just gonna have to find the right guy. Um, and it's probably it's gonna be trial and error, obviously. Well, and people say, well, you know, just go buy the best players. Mm-hmm. Nil by the A and M did that. Look what it got them. They're six and four right now. They may not beat LSU in a couple of weeks. I don't know. Speaking of LSU, I've been on what I feel like is a one-man campaign for Jaden Daniels to win the Heisman for about the last five or six weeks. And now it seems like everybody's starting to get in to that bandwagon yeah. because of the performance that he had against Florida the other night. It's incredible. And it's incredible every single week. We do these efficiency ratings. Let me pull these up here real quick. He has led this offense to 57.5% of all of their possible points this year. I mean, basically, if you take all their drives and their drives are worth seven points, that's 511 points that they could have scored. They've scored 294 of those points this year. It's incredible. It's pretty remarkable. He's, yeah. That's, and they've had to have almost every one of them because their defense is so bad. And it's that's what I was going to say. It's like that second half against Arkansas told me, like, I mean, I get it. Arkansas's defense isn't like some just phenomenal defense. But just the way that he – just 100% like took that game into his own hands and that offense was just unstoppable. It's like he's this whole season just having to do this like he's Lamar Jackson. In the back of his mind it's like okay, my defense isn't going to isn't going to get me a stop, so I'm going to have to do this all on my own and he does it. More accurate Lamar Jackson. 
I mean, he can yeah. put he can put balls fast in, and really, really in a fast. window this big. And I'm really surprised. You know, when you look at uh, I was looking at Mel Kuyper's draft board the other day. I think he's like the seventh or eighth quarterback on there. I feel like somebody is going to draft him in the fifth or sixth, or maybe this is a heavy quarterback year, and maybe he goes in the second round. I don't know. But I feel like somebody's going to draft him lower than where you feel like he should be drafted, and it's going to work out for him. Maybe I'm wrong about that. You know, I mean, who knows? Maybe he doesn't have big enough hands or something. But, you know, the NFL. But he's incredible. I mean, he Lamar Jackson's the player comp that I keep coming back to with Jaden Daniels because I just can't think of another quarterback that – has looked like Lamar quite like yeah. Daniels does with the way he's able to throw it, with the way he's able to run it. I mean, he had two long runs against Florida the other night that were just an incredible um, rare talent type runs. Real ball knowers understand that he deserves to win the Heisman. Like, and you cannot penalize him because his defense no, is toxic. Not. And it's always been the thing that's bothered me about the Heisman. I really take – I don't know how many voters there are for the Heisman, but I'm, I'm one of them. And I always – have tried to analyze it based on you know, who do I think is the best player, not the best player on the best team or the best quarterback. Or the, There have been years where – there there may have been a year where I didn't even put a quarterback on my ballot. I'm, I'm not 100% sure about that. But, you know, I, I mean, there have been years where I put a defensive player number one. There have been years where I think I've – not 100% sure about this. I think I may have put Brock Bowers number one last year. I know he was in my top three. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it just seems like it's so – I'm not going to say cut and dry because I think Penix at Washington is really good too. But it's to, to me, it's Daniels because of the competition that he's doing it against. I don't want to be drastic, but game for your life, who's your starting quarterback? I think I'm going with Jaden Daniels all yeah. day long. Um, and I don't – that was probably really dramatic. But, I mean – I'm not, I'm definitely not taking anybody else over him. Like Michael Penix is great. I think he's I think he's solid. I watched a lot of that Utah game <laughs> during the uh, the third quarter of Arkansas's game the other day. He's special. Um, Bo Nix is having a really good year, mm-hmm. but Pac-12 Jayden, has got a great quarterback. Jaden Daniels is doing things in real life that you can't do on junior varsity mode on NCAA football. <laughs> and in like. Five, like five to eight minute quarters, he's still like putting up better numbers than you would. And I would throw another name in there too. I mean, it, he's getting a lot of his yards because of Malik Neighbors too. He's, mm-hmm. I would put Malik thought. Neighbors in cast. that yeah. category too. That guy is really good. Um, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm with you. I feel like there's so many years that it's just like just give it to a quarterback just because. But there's more impactful players in the sport. Mm-hmm. But this is not one of those years. I'm like Jaden Daniels is every bit his team. I mean, he, it's the real deal. It's he's. You saw what happened whenever he went out against Alabama. That whole game just changed instantly. He's he is LSU this year, and and that's a good point. Is is the Heisman? I think it's you know who is the most important player to their team, and it would be hard to find someone who's more important than Jaden Daniels. I mean, he's best and most important. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 excellent. Well. We've out of time. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed our little therapy session here talking about the Razorbacks and then uh, the SEC. It's been therapy for us, too. And we'll be back with another Whole Hog Football podcast on Thursday. We'll talk a little bit more about FIU and, and what we expect to see Saturday night at Razorback Stadium. For Ethan Westerman and Scotty Bordelon and Matt Jones, hope you'll visit us at wholehogsports.com, and we'll see you next time on the Whole Hog Football podcast.